You're listening to Back to the Light with J.D. Rieger, GP Repost. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Back to the Light. I am J.D. Rieger. I don't have a whole lot to say this week. Uh, Considering the state of the world and the pain and anxiety many of us are experiencing, especially African Americans and other people of color, I just haven't felt um, like it was the right time to work up a new episode. I, I just haven't felt like it. So for this week, I'm replaying an interview that I did with CBS Sports Analyst and Memphis Sports Radio Personality on 92.9 FM, Gary Parrish. Uh, This is from 2013. I've known GP a long time and have been a guest on his shows uh, multiple times over the years to promote things I was doing. Um, I've never known Gary to be anything but a kind and selfless person. Uh, So naturally, when I launched an interview podcast seven years ago that failed miserably... Uh, my own fault. That's a story for another time. Gary was my first guest. As you can imagine, the conversation's a little dated, but um, there's still some great stuff in there about Gary's path to success as a member of the national sports media, as well as some uh, you know funny stuff about Memphis sports going on at the time, John Calipari, Josh Passner, and the like. Next week, I'll have something new for you all, but until then, uh, please try to take care of yourselves and enjoy my conversation with Gary Parrish. Black Lives Matter. Like, you know, tape some sort of tag at the beginning on my own. So yeah, we can just kind of... we usually do with they Like, we just start it. Like, hey, whatever, however you want to start it. And then they go back in and, and add the whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, whatever. I'm ready when you are. Okay. So, um, I figured this is... I made some notes here okay. since this is my first time. Um... You know, there's a saying, you know, with like music journalists that every uh, like rock critic is a frustrated musician. Do you think that's true of sports journalists as well? I actually I don't believe that that's true. I I think most of us probably get into the business because uh, we had a love for sports at some point. And and you know what? Most kids, at least guys, love sports on some level at some point in their lives. You played you played sports. Yes, I played baseball. Um, I was okay. I played soccer. I was pretty good but um i didn't play college sports or anything like that i played high school sports but i knew pretty early on that you know i'm five foot eight like what am i gonna do you know and so um uh, but the way i got into this is is yes i love sports and people told me i was i could write because i was in advanced english classes and stuff like that yeah and so i tried to like genuinely just combine those two okay like they say I can write and I do love sports. I'll be a sports writer. And it's funny because when I was in high school, like everybody's got these dreams, but they're going to be, you know, like everybody's going to be doctors or lawyers or actors or whatever. And then in reality, you know, you, you, you sell medical supplies or so whatever you do. <laughs> and, um, or you change majors eight times. And I just sort of said from high school, like, I'm going to be a sports writer. And I went to college, like, what are we going to be? I'm going to be a sports writer. And then it, it just sort of worked out. Now my job has expanded in a way that, 
I couldn't have anticipated because some of this stuff was unimaginable. Now, now I'm not just a sports writer. Like all I ever wanted to do was go to events, you know, write 800 words about them and, and read it in the newspaper the next morning. Well, yeah. well, now it's, you know, you can't just be a sports writer. You know, you're a radio host, you're a radio guest, you're a television appearance. Like my okay. contract with CBS now includes writing, TV appearances, radio appearances, blogging, podcasting, uh, a lot of these things that... You know, when I graduated college, which is 1999, you just couldn't. Well, I mean, a lot of those mediums didn't, didn't even exist. exist. Right. Yeah. And so I never wanted to be. Sometimes people ask, like, did you always want to be this? No, I never I always wanted to be this. I didn't even think it through that much. Uh, but it's it's worked out and I've been pretty, pretty lucky. Was there a particular like writer or publication that inspired you early on? I wouldn't say inspired. Um, I just knew that I like, and honestly, I love sports more when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. than I have 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. I don't sure. have that same passion for sports anymore. You, well, I, I want to get into this, yeah. especially, but I mean, do you think that covering sports has removed your yes. ability to enjoy sports on some level? Yes. I think you get too close to it. You start to know the people involved and you re- you recognize that they're, they're just as, messed up as you are, you know, that they're, they're, they really are just people with problems and they really are, you know, they're not just heroes you see on television, you know, they're guys with, with issues, with problems and they're not always likable. So, So I think sometimes getting so close to it makes you not enjoy, um, the sport as much just like I imagine you've met musicians at one point who you like admired and maybe they would come off the wrong way and you're like why is I gotta be I mean, that, that way? that's certainly true yeah. one time I opened for the for the violent films and they were totally jerks and it totally ruined that band for me forever mm-hmm. but at the same time like touring with bands I find that like developing relationships with bands that mm-hmm. you tour with makes you appreciate their music more like for me, because I understand like, oh, this dude is a real dude, right. you know, and I can, re- I understand now I, I get what he's saying I, when the, he makes that weird, obscure reference. Like I can some, connect those dots. There's some of that. Like I, you know, you get to like really see what goes into it. It's not just, you know, okay, basketball games on, they're going to play for 40 minutes and then we'll see who wins. Somebody's going to make shots. Somebody won't. You get to see all the detail, the attention to detail that goes into sort of creating what people are now watching. So I can, yeah. I can appreciate that. I, I would just say this. I probably knew more about sports in terms of the names and the details when I was, you know, uh, 15 as opposed but to don't when, you I, have to know to when more I'm 35. Now? You know what? People make, I, I have don't to, you? because I write for CBS sports and I cover college basketball, I have to know college basketball inside and out. So yeah. if you want to talk about that for two hours and I hope you don't, no, uh, we, I, don't. I don't care. <laughs> right. I don't care. I don't, I don't want your final four prediction or anything we, like, like that. I know that stuff like that. Cause it's, yeah. that is my job for radio. People make the mistake all the time of assuming that that is what's important. Like, I'll bump into guys at a bar, restaurant, whatever, and they come over and they're really nice. Like, hey, man, you know, I, I want to get into radio. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, you, you know, you good. Like, go for it, you know? And I say, like, I know everything about sports. And I said, you know, that's not important. You know, knowing everything about sports isn't important. I don't talk about, I don't break down games very often. I don't talk about Tennessee's defensive line very often or, or what was the determining factor between Texas and Ole Miss. I tend to uh, talk about issues and tell stories and interview people. And so I'm not coming on the radio ever to be your baseball expert. If I want to have a ba- if I want to discuss baseball, I'll bring on somebody who knows baseball the way I know college basketball and I'll ask right. them questions and let them talk. But for the most part, the radio show involves me for better or worse being me, um, telling stories, asking questions and talking about issues. So I won't discuss, um, a jets game. 
<laughs> Probably. But yeah. the Tebow phenomenon is something that can be discussed as an issue. And I won't discuss um, cycling ever. But the Lance Armstrong issue is something that I could talk about for hours. And that's sort of the way I approach it. Well, I think a lot of times, too, I mean, the stuff that draws me into your show and, and also Chris's show is when you guys just talk about your personal life, mm-hmm. too, you know, like stories about getting into a fight with your kid or right. whatever, no. you know, like that's to me like that, that humanizes the whole experience because you don't always want to hear people, you know, Jets win or right. whatever. You no, know? and I know. And like, that's what I like. You know, when I listen to people, I enjoy listening to people just tell a story. I, I like a good storyteller and yeah. I don't know what I'm good at or what I'm not good at, but, but, um, people have tend to, the most feedback I get is when I'm just telling stories about something that either happened in my personal life or something that happened at the store or wherever. And, um, I don't think, and here's the thing. I never really go into a show like saying, okay, today we're going to talk about you know, breakfast this morning. That's never the plan. <laughs> like I always right. have a plan, a very, a, a script to the show just like I have a script for this, but exactly. we've, we've, we've left it already. It's exactly the way it goes. And, yeah. and within my show, like I might, so I'll open up the show to, you know, this afternoon and I'll know exactly what I'm going to do. And, but I might break away from it a minute and a half into it. So I never planned to go in and have that show. But when that happens, I think I've developed over the years, the ability to recognize when it's working and when it isn't, when I can keep it going for 10 minutes, 20 minutes an hour and a half, as opposed to when I can, uh, I need to get away from it. A good example, I think it was last Friday. Um, you know, I have Jeff Calkins on every day at five o'clock and we never, ever, ever discuss what we're going to talk about before we go on the air. And sometimes we talk about sports and sometimes we just talk about whatever hap- whatever just comes up. So the other day we had no, I haven't spoken to him since he was on five o'clock the day before. And he came on and I said, and hey, you know, Jeff Calkins, Lee Sports Comic Commercial Appeal. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Like, whatever. He said, uh, how are you? And my answer to that was, <laughs> uh, I'm great, man. You got Kate Middleton pictures out. So like, what do I, and then I got no complaints. I haven't seen those yet. Right. Well, you should. I can email them to you. Right. And, um, I, and, and from that, he goes, well, like, I want to ask you about these. And now we're off on Kate Middleton. And the premise becomes, even if you're great looking, and she is, she's a beautiful mm-hmm. woman. Um, you're, you're Fit for a king. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> your, your privacy is invaded. No question. Nobody denying that. Sure. But, like, if somebody took nude pictures of me, I would, like, shoot myself. Because I would be, like, in, like I'm, 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 uh, I'm, a, I'm a mess. I'm disgusting. But, like, if you're Kate Middleton, do you go, hey, that's wrong what they did to me. But, man, I do look good. So it's not the worst thing in the world. And well, I, you got to think if people are trying to take nude pictures of you, yes. that you're probably doing something right you in would, your life. You would think so. So the, that, that conversation right there turned into a <laughs> 45 minute conversation that I must have had, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many people come up to me over the past weekend or email me or text me or tweet me about it. People genuinely enjoyed that. And that's always been the way I've done my show. When I first got over here to 929, which was about two and a half years ago, I'm doing the show. I'm just like, I'm just being me. I'm just doing what I do now. And I remember one time they come into me like they want to have a meeting. Hey, let's discuss the show. And my boss is um, in a very nice and not pushy way, but tried to make suggestions about the show. You know, uh-huh. Maybe you need to talk more about sports. Maybe you need to focus more on the Cardinals and you know whatever. And 
I can I, tell you're very interested in the Cardinals. Yes, yeah. I, I was a little offended. Like I was at first, like I was offended on some level, and I said, um, "But I'm not going to be stupid." Because at the same time, like I can remember reading a story about Conan O'Brien, and I'm not comparing myself to Conan O'Brien, but to this extent, he took his show to 10:30, and really smart people said, "You need to change this, that, and that," because you've got a different audience now. And he just said, "No, I'm going to. Do, I'm doing my show. I'm not going to listen to that." And he rejected all of the consulting and all of the information and it ultimately cost him that job he had to go back now he's on tbs and nobody watches him anymore and i said and this is essentially what i told my bosses i said listen if you wanted somebody to just come on and talk about sports there's like a bunch of people you could have hired like i can give you some names like right. i thought you hired me because you want because you had listened to me on another station for two years and that's what you wanted i said so let's just like let's try this let me do what i do and let's get the feedback and the ratings and see if it's and if it doesn't I'm not going to be stupid then we'll adjust but give me a shot to do it my way because the other way is just not enjoyable for me and uh, and they were nice enough to do that and it it worked for whatever reason in every way that you measure those types of things advertising money ratings attention yeah it, it worked and they've left me uh, alone since but uh, so you don't feel like you've had to make too many changes to the show I, I since really, you moved i really have not changed me um now keep in mind when i got here it was the first time i'd ever hosted a show by myself yeah. the old show was jeff Hawkins and i together and so i, I sort of well i learned on the job i sort of got here and like learned but i i sort of the one thing i did was trust my instincts like what like i know what's funny and what's not typically i know what makes me laugh i know when i'm telling a story and they're not always great i but i know when they're not great and i know even when i do a show um there are times i walk out of here like Ugh. like i can't like i just want tomorrow to hurry up and get here because i can get another one done right. because i'm it, the most recent one is the one that i'm consumed with and uh like i i, I know like you know people sometimes say ah oh, you're bragging or they say oh you're too much like i know when it's good and i know when it's bad just like with a column i just filed a column right as you walked in um uh, it's okay like I, and I'm not. Doesn't, I'm not telling well, you. I'm not. I'm not. And, and and you're. Are you okay with it just being okay? No. Uh, like I, well, like I needed to get it done, and it's it's fine. Like you know, and I'll probably have a, a, a harsher opinion of it than, than than someone who just reads it. But I know when. I guess what I'm saying is, I know when I write a good column. And I know when yeah. I write a bad column, and I I've, I think I've developed the ability to sort of know when what I'm doing is good and when I'm bad, and 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 I know that with shows, and so uh, I've trusted myself to just to keep doing what I'm doing. And, and as long as it, it keeps working, then uh, I'll keep doing that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go way, way back now. Okay. So you, you're in high school and yeah. you've decided you're going to be a sports journalist. Mm -hmm. How exactly do you set about making that happen? You know what? I was naive. Like I didn't, if I were, if I talked to an 18 year old kid today and he told me his plan and it, we can, we can act that out right now, actually. It, it, I can be like, oh, yeah. Okay. Mr. So like, Parrish? Right. Well, like, if he told me his plan and it, and it was my actually my plan at 18, I would yeah. say, yo, that's, that's not the way this works. But this was my plan. Okay. So I actually tore my ACL and my uh, knee when I was a junior in high school playing baseball. I've done, I've torn an ACL in my knee it hurts rocking like out on stage. Ah, well no, mine was turning a double play. So yours, yours is probably much cooler. No, I was at the map room and I was just like in the rock stance, <laughs> yeah, the course. Mark Aiken rock stance or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I like took a, like a really quick turn to, and it just like, Did you, you knew immediately. Oh, I like, knew immediately. And I just hit the ground. Oh, wow. And the, and then of course, like the, the guitar player, of the band at the time I was playing bass, he gets over, he's like, get up faggot. You know, all this <laughs> <laughs> well, that, like, Cause he has he, no idea. 
my guy, my, same deal. Like my, and I always see these basketball players like tear their ACLs and they sort of yeah. just lay there and then they get up and they sort of limp off the court. And I'm like, all I remember is like hurting like hell. Like I, like yeah. I had to be carried off the field. And it my, felt sickening. I played second base and my center fielder ran in, a buddy of mine. And he was like, hey, uh, uh, uh. Hey, uh, get up, brush it off. I'm like, what do you mean brush it off? Like my, my knee is exploded. And so, um, though I knew, like, because I'm not real stupid, that I was never going to play professional baseball, that was sort of the moment where I realized, whoa, like, I'm not playing. For the first time since I'm four years old, I'm not playing sports now. Yeah. I'm just, and, and this is probably uh, representative of the rest of my life. Like, I'm not going to pay, like, I'm not going to feel You're going to be days. the guy with the bad knee. Yeah, I'm not going to, well, like, it was for the first time that my days, really since I was like four or five years old, had not been filled with me playing some sport. Like that's the way that was my hobby. Those were, that's what I did. Wake yeah. up. What are we doing today? We're playing baseball today, we're playing soccer today, we're playing basketball today, whatever. And suddenly I'm not doing anything for nine months. I didn't do anything. And I said, okay, well I better start figuring this out then. I said, okay, I'm gonna be a sports writer for all the reasons I told you earlier. So I said, okay, how so do did, I do this? So did you write for the school paper? Yes, the and Maroon. Work on the, I was at like Horn Lake High School. Work on the yearbook. And I was all that the sports stuff. editor of the Maroon Tribune nice. at Horn Lake High School. And then, um, like the DeSoto Tribune, which is still a weekly paper down in DeSoto County, they needed, you know, people to cover high school football. I said, listen, let me try it. They said, well, you're in high school. Well, let me try. Who else you got? You know? Yeah. And at that, so then I do that, and then I go to the University of Memphis. And here's why I went to the University of Memphis. I had it in my head. Because I'd read Jeff Calkins every day when I was in high school, you know, and, and all those guys, Zach McMillan and Phil Stukenborg, a lot of the Ron Higgins, a lot of the guys who are still there. And I said, all right, here's the plan. I'm going to go to the University of Memphis. I'm going to work at that campus newspaper, and I'm going to, um, you know, cover University of Memphis events. At that point, I'll be around Jeff Calkins. I'll be around Zach McMillan, and I'll be so, and I'll be at the same events that they're at. And I'll be so good at that that by the time I get out of college, the Commercial Pill would want to hire me because I'm going to have known them and developed that relationship. And then I'll go from the Commercial Pill and I'll cover Tiger basketball and then that was really as far as I thought like that'd be the the pinnacle of my career that's all I wanted to do yeah. then one day and cover Tiger basketball for the commercial appeal and that's silly a because you don't get out of college and get hired at a newspaper like the commercial appeal it's very very rare um and, and so but like I didn't know any better I really just thought that's the way it would work and, but it seems like that's kind of the, the those are the people it works out for the people who just kind of blindly you just do don't it. know any better yeah yeah who just do it regardless well like Vernon on his show he had Samantha Steele on the other day a girl who now works for ESPN she's young she's like 26 years old and she's like the new game day she's on game day she's college football yeah. halftime reporter and all that and Vernon sort of asked her the same question and she said it sounds stupid but like this is you know this is what I did she said I want I decided I want to be in broadcasting after college so I moved to New York because I just figured like that's what you do yeah you just move to New York get yeah. into broadcast and she said, then I knew I wanted to be in sports broadcasting. So I got a job at the ESPN zone in Times Square as the hostess because I figured ESPN people would come in there. Sure. Like that is the dumbest thing in the world. But you know how she got her internship? Hey, she's very pretty. So sure. that helps. But um, yeah, the ESPN people actually came in there. And then like she was like, oh, I want to get into broadcasting. You know, here's some stuff I've done in college. And then they were like, oh, yeah, well, you need to call this person. Maybe try to get an internship. And it like it worked. Now, it, the story is dumb and it doesn't work for people, but it worked for her. And my story is similarly dumb uh but it it worked for me but i also had a lot of luck that that sort of you know helped me go from one place to the next but i never I, I never worked at the small newspaper like a lot of people do i never had to move away like some people do i was very close to doing it one time but uh like i like i look back on it and it's I'd like to think some of it's because I'm talented. I don't want dis to discount myself. No, obviously it is. But like a lot of it is luck. Like a lot of it is really, I, I've been lucky in right, right place, right time. Yeah. You know, to that point. So 
I, I broke some stories when I was at the when I was at you know in college, and I started freelancing for the Commercial Appeal. What like, kind of stories did you break? Well, the first story I did, it's funny. I um, so I'm at first day on on campus at the at the University of Memphis, Daily Houndsman, and we'd been working on this back to school issue. We've been working on it for like weeks, week and a half, two weeks. And you get it done, and like you walk on campus, and everybody's there, first day of classes, and there's the Daily Hounds when you pick yeah, it yeah. up, and your name's in there, and your picture's in there, and you're like, wow, this is great. Just feel really good about it, you know, <laughs> like we've produced something. And uh, then I went to my classes, whatever they were, and I, you know, noon, and I pop into the journalism, the newspaper room in the journalism uh, building. And I remember Candy Justice, who was the person in charge of the newspaper, one of my professors, she said, So what do you got for tomorrow? And I was like, Well, what? She was, like, well, <laughs> she was like, Well, what do you got for tomorrow? What are you writing for tomorrow? And up until that moment, it had never occurred to me, even though the thing is called the Daily Helmsman. <laughs> that you had to write one every day. Yeah. Like, it just never, I don't know why. It's just like stupid. <laughs> and so I was like, gee, I was freaking out. I didn't know what to do. And at the same time, I had to, I had lost my class schedule, obviously, because I lose everything. And this was a time, I'm going to date myself a bit, where you could just go online and look at your class schedule. You actually had to go to the bursar's office and like get them to print it out. So I'm standing over there in line to get the bursar's office. I'm panicking. I don't know what to do. But I got, first thing I got to do is get my schedule. I don't even know where I'm supposed to be tomorrow. Yeah. So I get the, um, and I'm listening to people and they're just walking up to the window and they're like, um, they're like, um, uh, you know, saying their name, uh, last name Jones, first name Tiffany. Okay, here you go. Boom. And there was this kid named Jimmy Snap Hunter, basketball player. <laughs> yeah. And he was a great prospect, but he had great problems. And nobody, it had never been reported, like where, you know, where he's going to go to school, what he's doing. And obviously school's starting because I'm on campus now. And it just sort of clicked in my head. I don't even know why to this day. I was like, I wonder like, if he somehow got into school here. It had not been reported. I walked straight up to that window. And they said, last name? I said, Hunter. They said, first name? I said, Jimmy, J-A-I-M-M-I-E. And they said, oh, print it out for me, class schedule. So now I got Jimmy Snap Hunter's class schedule. Whoa, that was easy. And wow, he's in school. So now I'm trying to call. And wow, that was ridiculous that they would just hand that over without yes. any kind of ID yeah, or nothing, anything. Nothing. Yeah. They were just, I think they, the lines were so long. First day of class, they were just like, whatever. What's your name? Here, get out of here. Yeah. And so I had this. And so now I've got a story. And I can remember, you know, then Tick Price is the coach. So I'm trying oh, to call I Tick I was going to ask who was the Tick coach Price. When, when you started covering the yeah. team. So I'm trying to get in touch with Tick Price. Can't uh, <laughs> get in touch with them. And uh, finally get in touch with somebody. I don't remember how it went down. But ultimately wrote for the next day uh, that Jimmy Snap Hunter was given a presidential exemption. He was the only the second basketball player in history of the school to get one. The first being Penny Hardaway. Of course. And so then the commercial pill had to follow up on my story. And... Talk radio was talking about my story, which was like, it's my second day on school. Like it was like, again, lucky. I don't even know why that clicked in my head. And, um, Dennis Freeland, who was the editor of the Memphis flyer. I remember that name. Yeah. was Really nice to me. And he reached out to me. Um, and he said, uh, Hey, I'd like for you to do, I'd met him at a football game. Like subsequently, like two weeks later, Memphis football game. He was like, Oh, Hey, I've been wanting to meet you. That's a great story. And all this stuff is really nice. And he said, I would love for you to write about snap hunter, um, for the flyer. And so, like, a month later, I was writing a, not a cover story, but an article for the Memphis Flyer. Yeah. And then I used that to start, you know, then I'm building a portfolio. I've got the stuff from high school. I've got stuff from the campus paper. I've got stuff from the Memphis Flyer. And I use all that to start freelancing for the commercial appeal, like covering high school basketball games, football games, volleyball games, softball games, anything they wanted. At some point, do you think to yourself, do I even need to finish college? Well, it, it, that never occurred to me. Although at this point, like there's a guy who works for me at CBS. He's a young yeah. guy. He got yeah, hired yeah. to cover recruiting for us. He dropped out of college too because he like had the job. Like, all right, I don't need this anymore. Now he might go back and finish up one day, but he, he yeah. is not a college graduate. It, that it, Things were not as 
accessible as they are now. Like you can sort of, because of social media, the internet, you can sort of blogs, you can create your own, in, you know, your own uh, brand now. It was much yeah. more difficult to do back then. So, um, so I'm trying, okay, like now I'm going to cover the commercial, right for the commercial appeal. And the commercial appeal started using me nonstop, like all the time. And so like, I can remember like, you know, telling my dad like that, like, as soon as I can get out of stupid college, like they're going to hire me for sure. <laughs> because like they use me all the time. They love me. They right. love me. They love my work. They love everything about me. Here's the reality of the situation that I was too naive to understand. They had to pay me $45 an article. Yeah. I was cheap labor. Of course. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I was just incredibly cheap labor. They don't want to send one of their full-time uh, employees out to cover a softball game. Parish would do it for 40 bucks, you yeah. know? And so, but I didn't know that at the time. I was just, you know, but I But did, they did hire you. But, well, here's why. So then I got an internship there after my senior year of college. Or I, I like, finished up my normal spring semester and I was like six hours short of graduating. I had to yeah. take those in the subsequent summer. At the same time, I had an internship at the commercial pill, three month internship turned into a six month internship. And then it got to a point with Scripps Howard, the company that owns the commercial appeal right. that, um, there's some rule they, they can't extend it past six months. So like at six months, that's it. They've had to hire you and they were not going to hire me. Not because they didn't like me, but there was no space. And I, this is another thing I never realized about or I never thought through. It doesn't matter how good you are. If the newspaper doesn't have a spot open, like it's a big corporation. Right. They right. just can't hire somebody because they want to hire somebody. And that was even the case in 1999. Certainly the case now. Oh, my gosh. And um, now you're just like, if you can keep your job at a newspaper. And with about two weeks before my six-month internship at the Commercial Pill was to be over with. Yeah. And I was looking at taking a job in Orange County, California for $18,000 covering whatever sports I could. That sort of was the only thing I kind of had on the table. Um, one of the prep writers at the commercial pill, a guy named Kevin Gorman, who now is at the Pittsburgh, uh, paper. Okay. He got into an argument with the sports editor and like a bad argument, like, you know, yeah. F you and what, and he threw his name tag at the boss. Like it got bad. You can't do that. They fired him. Sure. And I was sitting at the cubicle next to his cubicle. They had to hire somebody and cause high school football was about to start. The summer was ending, you know, whatever. And they hired me. But I still believe to this day, if Kevin Gorman doesn't get into that fight with John Stam, who was the executive sports editor at the time. I would have never got that job out of college at the commercial appeal. And then I don't know how my, my yeah, career would have unfolded because 18 months after that is when I broke the big Albert means recruiting scandal that sort of propelled my career. And, th under, and under that's things. where I sort of first, yeah. you know, heard your name is because of that, yeah. that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. But like without that fight between those two people, I'm never in a position to uncover the Albert means recruiting scandal, at which point I don't win those awards. I don't get that notoriety at which point I'm not able to leverage my prep writing job into the tiger basketball job. At which point I'm never covering John Calipari's Memphis tigers. At which point right. CBS would never consider hiring me to cover college basketball for them because I wouldn't even have been on anybody's radar because I would have never covered John Calipari at the University of Memphis. Like, I do think, and that's where I think luck comes into it. You know, like, yeah. some of that was just, I've been fortunate. When you got promoted, was Cal already the coach? Or, no. Um, or yes, they doing yes, the yes. search? No, he was, no, he was already the, the coach. This, I think I covered the Tigers from 2002 to 2006. It was Rodney Carney's career. Rodney right. Carney's freshman year to Rodney Carney's senior year. That's the way it, <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. 
And um, that's funny. Yeah. So when I got the job, he was he was the coach. Um, and uh, and then yeah, CBS called me after the 2006 season, and and it went from there. Your personal interactions with John Calipari, because you know, mm-hmm. I, I actually did. I covered the uh, Tigers for two years for this goofy like Rivals website. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess we saw each other, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. backstage or whatever yeah. a couple times, and. Um, you know, I always, you know, everyone always says that Cal is such a jerk or whatever that he, but he was always like super nice to me. Did you, what was your interaction he, with Calipari like? You know what? People always assume, and still to this day, I think, because people who read me now still know that I covered John for four years. They still yeah. know where I live. Yeah. And so there's two opinions out there. One, and this is the one from the Kentucky fans, is that I hate John Calipari because, because he didn't treat me right when he was here. And you're a Memphis homer. Right. And all yeah, that yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. The other opinion is that I love John Calipari because right. I spent four years every day with them right and the reality is there has never been a point where i've been since i've been established at cbs and got to know other coaches from around the country yeah there's never been a point where john and i hated each other and there's never been a point where we were really really close i guess what i would say is we were never as close as some people think and we've never been as far apart as some people think now we don't talk every day or anything like that anymore um but he has always been we haven't always agreed on things. Yeah. And we still don't. And I hold him accountable. I, 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 I hope as well as anybody else does in college basketball. But as um, much as you can. As I much guess. as you can. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, we, we've never, you know, but even in our disagreements, he's always been pretty resilient. Like he's never just like stone, like, like we're not. Now we've gone two months without speaking before. It seems like he's too smart to do that. Like at well, some point he would have to know, like it's, a, it works against him to not talk to a major college, yeah, even if it was but, just but, a local. Writer. But even now he sort of got to a level, certainly at Kentucky where he doesn't need anybody anymore. I mean, he's got yeah. his Twitter feed. He's got his I, website. He can sort of get his message out in a lot of different ways. So I think he probably needs people like me less now than he ever has. But I, I guess this is a story, and I don't know what it means exactly, but I can tell you how I interpreted it. Uh, Sports Illustrated was going to do a big article on him a few years ago, and they did. And um, the a writer calls me, and he says, uh, hey, I, I, w- I want to talk to you. I'm working on a story on Cal. And I thought he was just calling me for background because he knew I used to cover the Tigers. And I said, yeah. I said, uh, I said so where did you get my number? I said, so did Luke Wynn give you my number? Because Luke's a buddy of mine that works at Sports Illustrated. He said, no, I got your number from Cal. And I said, um, really? I said, well, like, that's, he said, Cal told me I should talk to you. <laughs> and I said, why? And he said, because he told me that you call him on his bullshit and that you would be honest with me about him and that you would be willing to talk about, you would be able to talk about both sides of John Calipari. And I took that as a compliment because I, I took it as an acknowledgement from John and he's never actually told me this, but I took it as an acknowledgement from John that, um, I'm not one of those people who thinks he's the devil. Right. And I'm also not one of those people who thinks he's the best thing ever to, you know, Kentucky. I see what he is, which is a very complex and complicated individual, but I'm able to see both sides. He is on some level, some of the worst things that people think about him. That stuff is real. But is he, he, is also, is he that much worse than that many other college no, coaches? No, I he's, mean, he operates on another level, Yeah, but he doesn't do much that other guys don't do. He just does it on another level. But, but there are also some really remarkably good qualities that he has that I'm able to see those too. I think a lot of people with John, it's either you love him because he's your coach or you hate him because he represents everything that's wrong with college basketball. I, I think both sides of that argument are valid up until a point. 
both sides of those arguments exist, and uh, and I think I've been decent at, at being able to to recognize both of them and praise him when he should be praised yeah. and hold him accountable when he needs to be held accountable. And I, I think, though, he doesn't always like that because we'll cuss each other out. And uh, I think on some level, deep down, he, he kind of respects it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. How is uh, Passner different? He's just easier. You know, like, you don't ever have to worry about Josh calling and cussing you out like right because he doesn't curse because he doesn't curse uh but also he's is just, that real i mean is that whole like no, howdy doody real. thing I, like, yes it's real like that's who he is like he josh is genuinely like the nicest guy in the world yeah, yeah. and some people use that against him um some people take advantage of it you know i would lie to you know, i'd be lying to you and i don't make a habit of like ripping josh because i don't really think there's much to rip him about sure um but um if there were ever a moment where, listen, I got to go at Josh Paston today, I wouldn't hesitate. <laughs> the, the, the way I would, I might hesitate to do it just because he's such a genuinely nice guy, but I wouldn't hesitate to do it for the same reasons that if you were living in Memphis during the Calipari era, people might hesitate to do it, which is John will come at you and John will try to bury you. Like right. John will try to get boosters to buy out your radio station and fire you. If but, anything, it seems like Pastor's the kind of guy who would just like, if you said something, he'd, he would like call you and like want to talk. Yes, he would want to engage you. Like he I cannot you know. overstate. He's just a decent guy. He's just a decent man. Is, and, is there a room for that in college basketball for well, just like a totally straight up decent guy? I mean, can that guy really thrive? That in guy the world can, of Calipari's. That guy can really thrive. Now, I'm not telling you that he doesn't also know the business he's in and right. knows how to swim with the sharks when he needs to swim with the sharks and get things done in the recruiting game. Because there's a perception that he's kind of this naive, nice guy. He's not naive. Okay. He's a nice guy. He okay. also knows what business he's in and he knows what he gets paid to do. Right. He gets paid to win basketball games. And so, you know, you don't recruit the level of players he's been able to recruit first at Arizona, then at Memphis. Sure. Um, without understanding the business you're in and you yeah. can interpret that however you want to interpret it. Uh, but, but he's like a genuine, like where I think, you know, Josh, let's take the, the same scenario in recruiting. Josh would do what he had to do, work in the gray area, push the limits to get something done because he knows that that's what you have to do to win at this level. John would do all those same things, but he might do them also because he wants to crush you because he wants to hurt you <laughs> right. because he wants to, you know, like be, he's vindictive and, and he can be all those things. Um, the best story I can tell you about Josh to, to, to sort of underline how just, he's a genuinely nice dude is like, like if you take a bad loss on the road, the last Which thing he's you, certainly done. Oh, he has done that. Right. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is hear from anybody really, but certainly like, you know, fans bitching about you and whether it's message boards on the you know, radio host bitching about you, whatever. Does he pay attention to that you stuff? Oh, he pays a lot of attention to it. And that's like, I've told him before, like, like to stop, you need to not worry. Yeah. You don't have to, if he has a shortcoming, it is that he wants everybody to like and understand everything he does at all times. And that, that doesn't that's just impossible. And that doesn't just go for like, the guy who works for CBS who happens to have a radio show in town or Chris Vernon or George LaPitt, like anybody, like if you, I if mean, even you can't achieve that. Well, how I, could, I gave up on that. How could he, yeah, but yeah. he tries because right. he wants that so badly. And I've actually told him that like, it's not a good, like that's going to wear you out at some point. Right. But like, I, I remember one time where he gets back in the office, like they took a bad loss on the road. He's back in the office the next morning and he's checking his work voicemail and you can kind of just like get to his voicemail if you want to get to it. Right. And there's like a message 
from this like you know it must have been in her 80s lady she's like coach pastor this is debbie from wherever and you know and, and you guys only shot you know, y'all sure didn't miss a whole bunch of free throws last night and that looked like to me it cost you the game and you know you need to work on that free throw shooting and i know how to make kids shoot better free throws because my my husband rest in peace you know once upon a time was like a four minute message right yeah poor lady she just got nothing going on so does life. he have him out there shooting free throws because of this he calls the lady back and has a lengthy conversation with her not because he's trying to get free throw advice right and honestly like i get messages from people all the time but i can't return them all i just you can't i cannot let my life be consumed by that kind of stuff sure and yet he probably spent 20 minutes on the phone with this lady and it was 20 minutes that I don't think I have time for. Maybe it was 20 minutes he could have been recruiting, Whatever. insert player here. But it here. mattered to him that he could not bear the thought of that woman thinking that the Memphis basketball coach, she took the time to find his number, to call and leave a detailed message. He couldn't bear the thought that that woman might think he didn't care enough to call her back. So he calls her back. And that's that's who he is in a nutshell. Like the act, like, I'm, again, I would never try to, I don't use the word squeaky clean to, to describe any college basketball coach because I don't think you can be. Yeah. But in terms of just being, even the people who work in this business, some of them are good people and some of them are bad people. He's genuinely a good dude. Like, and I think that's why people here uh, root for him so much. There were even Memphis fans, I think, during the Calipari era who like didn't mind seeing John Calipari lose every once in a while because he was just – he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I think it's almost the opposite is true with Josh. Even people who don't necessarily consider themselves Memphis basketball fans – don't mind see, seeing Josh do well because they've seen that side of him now for, for you know roughly four years. And I think they give him more of a break when he loses than they would give Cal, yes. especially considering the level of talent that sure. Cal had. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that people recognize, at least the savvy Memphis fans, yeah. recognized a lot of people didn't want to follow Cal. That's why they hired Josh Pastor. Now, I remember there was. I remember when they hired him, there was backlash. You know, they're they're going to bring this carpet bagger. Yeah, or, but you they know, offered whatever. the job to like eight different people before that. Like nobody, people were like, I'm not. Like I had one coach who was offered the job. How did they ever get him in the first place? I mean, was it just because he was so down and out from the NBA thing? I mean, John, he actually I had this conversation with somebody last night. Um, he, when he got fired from the NBA, he was an assistant for the Sixers with Larry Brown for a little while after that. Yeah. And when he decided he was going to jump back into college basketball, he was just going to take best job available. And and at that and moment, it was really Memphis yes, at that time because you know you had a, a at the time it was the pyramid, but you had a fan base that obviously you, you had a yeah. program that had won historically uh, a. a an arena, a good conference affiliation. People don't remember, like that was Louisville was in that league. Cincinnati was in that league. Marquette was in that league. DePaul was in that league. And then, um, and, and it was sort of like, Hey, if it's good enough for Rick Pitino, then why isn't it good enough for John Calipari, that league. Right. And then you had uh, local recruits everywhere. And, um, and I think this was important. At one point, Larry Brown, um, was seriously considered, the um, seriously considered taking the Memphis job many, many years ago because he's basically considered every job in the history of coaching basketball. Yeah. And so when John asked him about it, he was like, that's a great job. People care about it there. They'll invest there. And uh, so I think Memphis got him because they took best job available. But I talked to a coach one time during, you know, John leaves for Kentucky. They're trying to find a coach. And this guy's name was being bounced around. Sure. And he said, Gary, you live there. You tell me, I got one question for you. And answered honestly. I said, all right. He said, what happens when I only, following John Calipari, what happens when I only win 29 games? 
Like, are the fans going to go crazy? And I said, yeah, probably. Because they got, and the expectation, like, people, like John and them won, like, four, we went four straight years without losing a Conference USA game. Right. Like, they never lost. And so I think the savvy fans know that that's unrealistic. And even Josh would tell you. I mean, even it would. It seems like it'd even be unrealistic to expect Calipari to be able to keep that level up at Memphis forever. Well, I think he he probably could have. You, you know? think so? I mean, he's a different animal. I mean, he's okay. doing it at Kentucky now. I mean, he just well, got, but that's Kentucky. He just ran through Kentucky the same way uh, the SEC the same way he used to run through Conference USA. You know, I mean, he's a he's a different level dude. But Josh has never shied away from that. Some people would take the job and go, um, "We're going to come in. We're going to keep it going." And Josh has never said that stuff. Josh said, "We're going to come in." We're going to do the best we can do, but do not hold me to the Calipari standard because nobody you were going to try to hire, they could not keep up what John was doing. That's a different right. deal. And I've always tried to tell Memphis fans, compare Josh to Dana Kirk, compare him to Larry Finch, to Gene Bartow, to Mo Iba, any of those guys, but erase the nine John Calipari years, particularly the last four, because that's not real. That's right. not, that's like, a, that like people got upset with me a little bit when John left here because I said the best four years of Tiger basketball that that it will ever be they just happened you'll never get back to that level of success doesn't mean you can't someday win a national championship but four years of just straight dominance like that you'll never have that again the people are like well but the reality is you won't uh what he did here is it's it's not doable for for almost anybody else i would i, mean, I would actually like, say maybe anybody it's else. it's like unlv or something and target just a, you know? that's a different day that was like a, a a, a picture in time that you can't get it back. Was, yeah. Now it is also, you know, labeled a certain way now because of the Derrick Rose situation and sure. the vacated Final Four. But in terms of just dominating college basketball, dominating opponents, that, that that will never happen again. And anybody expecting Josh or anybody else to keep that going is it's 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 unfair and unrealistic. So so we'll, this will be my last Tiger question. We'll and we'll get back to Gary Parish questions, mm. but um. How long do you think that old Pastner sticks around? He will stick around um, as long as every, almost every other coach sticks around any other job. And that is up until the moment where he's presented with a better job. You know, that's what people do. Yeah. You know, like I've always told people, I was happy at the commercial appeal. Could I was stuck around there. I was there for seven years. Could have been there for eight. But I got presented with a better opportunity. So I changed jobs. I was happy at, AM 730. I could have stayed there for, well, I don't know if I could have stayed there for seven years. It, does, it, does that place even exist I'm anymore? I'm not sure. I'm not, I have no I don't idea. Know. Uh, but um, <laughs> I got offered a better job, and so I left. And I yeah. think basketball coaches, though they are criticized for doing that, they don't do anything diff much different than what most of us do. And so John Calipari was here. You know, up until, and people are always worried. Oh, he's going to leave from year one. Ah, he's not going to be yeah. here long. He's here nine years. The reason he was here nine years is because it took nine years for him to get offered a job that was better than the Memphis job. That's Kentucky. Kentucky's a job better than Memphis job. So he left. The good thing for Memphis fans is that there aren't really many better jobs than the Memphis job. There are some that are comparable. Uh, but I don't think you just leave Memphis to go to NC State because right. you know, Josh had that opportunity. I don't think you leave Memphis to go to, you know, uh, uh, SMU. Josh had that opportunity. Um, I think for Josh, he's he's from Texas. University of Texas opens up. They want Josh Pastner. Probably look at that. He's an Arizona grad. Arizona opens up. They look at Josh Pastner. He'd look at that. Uh, UCLA. You know, he he recruited in the pack. 
what is now the Pac-12. He's, you know, he graduated from Pac-12 school. Yeah. That's LA. It's UCLA basketball. And he'd have to look at that. Uh, but the list of schools that he would actually leave for, or any Memphis coach would leave for, is probably no more than 10. And so... If he is ever in a position to get one of those jobs, it means he's got this thing rolling in a pretty big way. And so yeah. and uh, I always tell people, like, don't worry about that. I don't think he's going to lose so much that he gets fired. I don't believe that because I think he's he, he knows how to recruit and knows how to get players. And if you can get players, you can usually keep your job. Um, uh, but, you know, worrying every single offseason that, he, oh, he's going here, he's going there. Like LSU, he could have gone to LSU. He didn't, you know, LSU is not a better job. And so um, I think Memphis people are just conditioned to worry every year, no yes. matter who's the coach. Yes. It's like, yeah. yes. And like, uh, yeah. And, and But I also think that maybe Memphis fans, and, and keep in mind, there's a difference. I, I'm not saying Memphis is a top 10 program in America. But it's a top 10 job because you have everything you want. FedEx, money, they pay you. Like, Sold out arena. Yeah, beautiful arena, beautiful practice facility. There are five top 100 recruits in the country in this city right now, in this class. Um, six top 100 recruits if you count the Melrose High kid who's now in junior college. Right. A seven if you count Robert Hubbs who's from 90 minutes from here. So what do you look for when you're a coach? Can you win? Yeah, you can win. Can you get players? There's players right here. There's a natural recruiting base. Uh, do the fans support you? 12 months a year. I could talk about college basketball every day on my show if I wanted to and people would listen. Um, How uh, much does the presence of the Grizzlies like add into the like the there luster? There was a fear the... I think at one point that it would hurt but it very clearly hasn't now. It seems like sharing a, a, a facility with an NBA team would be pretty attractive well, to a young you, kid. You, you know? can, yeah, you well, you sell what you have to sell. If you don't have yeah. it, you don't mention it. But once you do, you talk about, you know, uh, Chris Wallace, general manager of the Grizzlies. Is that all your games? You know, uh, Zach Randolph is going to be over at the fence center working out. He is. Like, Zach Randolph's over at the fence center working out all the time. These yeah. are things that, that can be appealing to kids. And, like, you know, where I don't actually believe that, you know, well, if you go there, the NBA's not going to find you. I mean, from Steph Curry to um, – Damian Lillard, like, you know, you can be at Davidson or Weber State. If you're good enough, the NBA will find you. Yeah. Uh, but you can sell the other side of that, which is you are playing in an NBA arena in NBA City. Like, there is no hiding. If you are good enough to be in the NBA, they're going to see you all the time. They're in the same building all the time. And right. that is absolutely something Josh uses. Well, speaking of getting opportunities and taking them when they come up, I want to know which came first for you, like uh, expanding into radio or expanding into covering like national covered you know, college basketball for CBS? You know what happened is that uh, when I was at the commercial pill and you become the Tiger beat writer, it yeah. sort of goes back to what I was just talking about. It's such a big deal here. Tigers are. Yeah, and I yeah. became a guest on a lot of people's shows. I remember Vernon when he first moved here, he had a a nighttime show on Sports 56, like on Friday nights. Which I never listened to that, but my grandmother was a huge Vernon. That's how I, that's actually how I met Vernon is yeah. that um, my grandmother was such a big fan that she had me like cart her out to one of his like live remotes so at funny. like Blue Coast Burrito. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and then we talked and. So you had like a, a, yeah. a show. I, I want to say it started like at six o'clock on Friday nights or seven. Like nobody's listening. Like, right. like who would be listening? And I about the my same grandmother. Right. Your grandmother. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, how about this? So, um, um, at the, about the, at, at, at roughly the same time, my wife was pregnant and we went from living downtown. Like I lived downtown with a musician to getting married and having a kid, a pregnant wife into the suburbs. And like, I was going crazy. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like, 
because used to I lived down, you know, I'd just be like, all right, where are we going tonight? And then you're like, all right, where are we going tonight? Like, and suddenly it's like your life has changed drastically. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what to do. So like Vernon would be like, hey, you, you want to come on the radio? I'm like, please. Yes. I'd love, like, I got nothing else to do. I'm sitting in the suburbs alone, miserable, <laughs> but a pregnant wife, you know, like the whole <laughs> life is over, you know? And so I was, um, so I, I started going on with him and then I would go on other places, talk about the Tigers. And um, then he got you know, a, uh, a show that was, I think I believe it was from 11 to one. On yeah, and at some point you were his co-host for a while. Well, what, for, it started with, um, we had Gary Parish Wednesdays. I'll never forget this. That was the way it was branded. Gary Parish Wednesdays. And I would just come in and just sit in for two hours on Wednesday. Yeah. Gary, we had it sponsored Gary and like my dad's company sponsored it. Now, right? I was a delivery driver at the time, like during the day. So right. I, I listened to you guys all right. the time. So we had Gary, and so then we expanded Gary Parish Wednesdays, Wednesdays into, I was going to be his co-host. Yeah. And I was his co-host very briefly. Like, because uh, we had this show at, at 7.30 from 11 to 1. He went over there. He was the only show on that station. And he just wanted to keep his same time slot going. Maybe it was like 11 to 2, something like that. Or 10 to 1, something yeah, like that. That's about when I started yeah. listening to you yeah, guys, right, to right at this time. And so I was his co-host. Well, then the station hires this this guy to come in from out of town, like from Austin, Texas, and run the st- station. And he was right. He said, why do we have a midday show, but no drive time show? Like that's stupid. Like if you're going to have a show here, you're going to, it's going to be drive time. And yeah. that's when he moved from three to six from well, 10 to two to, or 10 to one to three to six. Well, when he moved to three to six, I was covering tiger basketball and I'm at practice from three to six. I could no longer be his co-host, but I did. We worked out a deal where I would do 40 minutes a day with him. So I was from four twenty to five every day. I would join him. And then <laughs> this is becoming a very long-winded answer. But then um, uh, I, I kept trying to get – me and Calkins were trying to get a show, like a midday show or a morning show or something. And it just never happened. And at one point, George Lapidus was going to uh, – Calkins was co-hosting with Lapidus. I remember that. Right. And um, Lapidus was going to scale back. You know, to like one hour, two hours. I don't even know what it was. But it opened up two hours on that of that time slot. And uh, Sports Boutique was going to hire me to come in and sit with Jeff. So it would be Jeff and George for like an hour, two hours, whatever it was. And then me and Jeff for two hours. So I come back to Vernon and I said, um, I said, listen, I think I'm going to go over there and do this thing. And he, and he was trying to explain to me why I didn't want to do it, giving me right. great career advice. He's actually just had nothing selfish. to do with his anti 56. Yeah, right. He just actually like didn't want to lose me to sport 56. Right. But he was like, you're, you're going to hate that. And finally I just said, listen, <laughs> all right, stop telling me what I'm going to hate. Cause here's what I'm telling you. I'm going to do it unless we get a show over here. We'd rather do a show on the station with you. Um, but unless that's going to happen, I'm going to go get my own show over here as opposed to just be on the phone with you for 40 minutes a day. The next day, these corporate guys from Seattle fly in. They meet with Jeff and I at the Westin. And Jeff and I decided we already had the, basically an offer on the table from sports 56. We knew exactly what I, we were going to be making. Yeah. And uh, we said, all right, listen, we'll just ask these guys for crazy amounts of money, relatively speaking, the AM talk radio. And uh, they'll say no. And then we'll do the thing. Sports 56 will be fine. So we asked for these ridiculous amounts of money and they said, okay, like within 20 <laughs> minutes and they signed us these stupid contracts. And that's how the Jeff and Gary show started over at seven 30 from that. Um, we, I, you know, and I'll skip a bunch of parts to get to this part. But at one point I decided, um, all right, let's, let's, we'd been talking to 92, nine back and forth and we wanted to do either a morning show or a mid or a midday show. Just bring it to FM. Yeah. And Dan Barron, who's my boss here now, he said, listen, well, Mike and Mike does really good ratings, so we don't want a morning show. We don't want to mess that up. And uh, a midday show, 
he didn't. He wanted. To, he wanted a drive time show one way or another. His first local show, he wanted it to be drive time. Yeah. He said, and I don't want it to be mornings because Mike and I. I want it to be afternoons. And uh, so yeah, like if you guys want to do an afternoon show, well, let's talk. The at the about the same time Calkins was, and I can talk about this because we've talked about it. He, yeah. he was going through a divorce. And he's got three young boys, and he's got to pick them up from school and take care of them after school and stuff like that. And he just could not do a uh, a local show. So what we came up with was to do the Gary Parish show with Jeff Calkins, attach his name to it, make him a presence on the show every day. Yeah. But really attach his name to it for advertising purposes for it because I was even though it was the Jeff and Gary show. And I was at this point at CBS because I'd left to go to CBS in 2006. Um, locally, he was still the much bigger name. He was the guy whose face was in the cover of the commercial people all the time, or at least the cover of the sports page. So we attached his name yeah, to Yeah, he's it. the guy who goes to the Olympics right, and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah. so we said, okay, it'll be the Gary Parish Show with Jeff Calkins, and I'll host it. And they really just took a chance because there was no evidence. Yeah. There was really no evidence that I could host a show by myself. I had never done it. First time I ever did it was my first day here. Uh, but all that happened. So I guess... The long, long answer to that question is <laughs> I started being a guest and co-hosting with Vernon while I was at the Commercial Appeal. Then I went to CBS, and then I got my own radio show with Jeff and I after that. And then this show started, you know, I, after the, 2010, I guess it was. So it, it all just sort of – it started in one place, happened in another. The CBS, Commercial Appeal to CBS thing happened in the middle. It's been, a, it's been a wild sort of weird deal. At what point do you feel like you got comfortable as a radio host and personality? I mean, how long did it take you? When the ratings started to come in and suggested people are listening to this, you know. And I, I mean, we're talking here, though. I mean, it yes. took you. I mean. Oh, I got pretty comfortable just like people asking me questions. And that's what I would do for the long. Even when I was Vernon's co-host, it was yeah. mostly. Believe it or not. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Let me set me up to let me be me. Just ask me questions. And sometimes he, even when I go on a show now, he'll still just do that. Yeah. You know, just sort of ask me questions and let me be me. So I got really comfortable in that role. But then I, hosting is different because you're sort of, you can't just ask yourself questions all the time, although I do do it with uh, <laughs> with, with um, whatever it is. We, uh, believe it or not, I guess we still do believe it or not. Uh, yeah, so I, you can sort of you know, invent ways to do it. But... Um, you are sort of hosting the guiding the show. And there are some parts of the show that are going to become less about you than they are the guests you're speaking with. And so yeah. I had to adjust to that, but I was still a little self-conscious about it. Um, uh, until the ratings started to come in and, and it, 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 it showed that people were listening. And then honestly, like I, I think Twitter getting big, helped because you get this instant feedback and people are laughing with you and people are, you can tell people are laughing with you. And, and, uh, you know, I, I can look across the glass and see like when Brad's laughing or when he's not, when something's working, when it's not. Right. And at, at some point I got to where I feel, I feel very comfortable just being me on the radio, but, but I needed outs. I, I don't think I was confident enough, maybe just in general, but um, confident enough to, to reach that. Like Vernon's just comfortable on his own, period. Because he just, even if he's failing, he doesn't <laughs> understand that. Like he's just confident. No, he you know? will sell it. He's just confident in himself. Yeah. He, I don't know that I am, though it might appear that way when I'm on the radio. I don't, I'm not 
actually very self-confident. No, I think there's a I think there's a vulnerability to you I that, that yeah. Verno maybe doesn't he possess. Doesn't, like right. he he's kind of like the arrogant character yeah, on the radio. And, and I can play that character some, but I do think there are for people who listen a lot, they understand that I have incredible insecurities and, and that yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got my own issues going on that are a mess. And uh, and I, I think that I, at least people tell me that that's part of the appeal to yeah, it on some yeah, level. Yeah, totally, totally. But I needed, the reassurance came with like, listen, let me be me. I, let me do my show. I know what I'm doing. That came with, I needed reassurance in tangible ways. Ratings, advertisers, dollars, contract extensions, awards. As yeah. silly and shallow as that stuff sounds, it well, sort of, I needed it, that stuff. It is to, meaningful. Yeah, I, well, I yeah. needed that stuff to reassure me. Like, this is working, okay? I can, I can do this. I don't know that I can do you know, a lot of other things, but I feel like I can do this. And, uh, and, but, but it took a little while. Sure. It did. Do you ever find yourself? And I think, I think Verno does this more than anyone locally anyway, but do you, th- I feel like sometimes he sort of exaggerates his personality sure. in order to be incendiary or whatever. Do you ever find yourself like sort of embellishing yourself on the radio in order to make it funnier, to make a point oh, better? I mean, like, yeah, like I, I, uh, like I tell these stories and they are the heart of them are always true, but do I, you know, uh, add, a, <laughs> add a sentence here, add yeah. a moment there. Yeah, you know, like uh, at the end of the day, it's the Gary Parish show. You put on a show, you know, and um, I, I, embe- I embellish it. Like I'll have that arrogant moment, which is real. You know, that's real too. Yeah. Um, uh, but but I also, you know, um, match it with enough moments of like where poking fun at I'm yourself, deprecating, yeah. and I'm 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 being brutally honest about. Um, personal issues that I think people sort of know when when I'm when one or the other is there, and that both are probably there at all times on some yeah. level. I um to the extent that I embellish or get riled up or whatever, um, I'll do it for the sake of a story. But mm-hmm. I, I will tell you, I've never done this, and I would I will never do this. I will never have fake. Um, <laughs> like uh, anger or, or, you know, I will never be riled up about something that doesn't genuinely bother me. Like, I'm not just going to, you, know, you know, it's so easy to do radio, particularly in this market where you have a whole bunch of different fan bases, Alabama, Arkansas, oh, yeah, it's, Tennessee. It's easy to be insightful. I if would you think. wanted to just come on and say, what happened at Tennessee over the weekend is an embarrassment and everybody <laughs> in that football program should be fired. Five, three, five, three, seven, seven, seven. You can do that all the time. I've never done that. I, right. I never, I think one of the, the big misconceptions, maybe not with radio, but certainly with me sometimes, although I don't think it's a misconception with me, but people will say this all the time. You'll hear this. Oh, he's just trying to get callers. Oh, he's just saying that because he wants to get callers. First off, I don't really even take callers that much um, because I only have two hours and I like myself talking. But um, I've never said something just to get callers. That's not what I do. And um, uh, so do I think Vernon has sometimes done that? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think most guys have. But that is, for better or worse, I don't, I'm never just trying to get callers. Um, I'm just trying to. You know, and same way with my writing. So, well, you're just trying to get licks or sell, uh, get clicks or sell newspapers. You're trying to break a story yeah. no matter what. I, I'm trying to, here's what I, everything I say, and I'll be trying to be funny and make you laugh. And uh, my goal has always been, can I make somebody laugh? Can I make somebody think? Can I tell somebody they didn't, something they didn't know before? That's kind of what I try to do. And so I'll never try to get callers. Or I'll never try to get clicks within a column. What I try to do when I offer my opinion, 
whether it's at CBS or on the radio. I'm just trying to be right. I just want to yeah. be right. At the end of the day, I have a, a, a desire and a need to be as right about as much stuff as I can be. And so it would never make sense to me to say something that I didn't genuinely believe just for the sake of trying to get callers or something like that. So I never, ever, ever do that. Well, we've, we've already talked for like an hour so <laughs> and, I, and I've asked you like three questions, but, um, I guess there's a couple more things I want to hit on quickly, sure. if you don't mind. No, I'm fine. Um, cause I know you got to be on the air in like an yeah, hour. Right? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. You gotta, you gotta be on the air soon. Um, but I, I do want to touch a little bit on the perception, at least of you and Verno competing for mm-hmm. a while when you switch stations, like tell me a little bit, just like, how did all that play out? And, and do you feel, do you feel like there was genuine competition or was there, or was it ever a weird strain on your friendship to be competing with each other? It was, it was never, we, well, it was accidental. We were never supposed to compete against each other. What happened there is he had an afternoon show at seven thirty, and Jeff and I had that midday show. Yeah. Earlier, I said that Jeff and I decided to like talk to 929, but that was all um, sort of moved that direction because at one point, remember when I told you they were paying us a lot of money over there, like yeah, stupid yeah. money? Well, it was. It was stupid money. They didn't have a sell staff to actually produce this now, type of revenue. I, I remember walking through those empty offices over There's there. There's nobody there. There was no one. Yeah, yeah. So what these geniuses <laughs> who ran this company decided to do is pay the talent but, have, but never pay salespeople to have a way to create revenue. Like over here... There's a whole other side of the building with like 30 salespeople. Yeah. So they can pay us and then go use those people to produce revenue to make it worth their while. This company of the other place, they didn't have that. So they paid Jeff and I money that we didn't deserve to make on an AM radio station. And they paid Vernon money he didn't deserve to make on an AM radio station. Like, I can remember talking, like, I'm, I'm buddies with Drake and Zeke here in town. Yeah. And I could, they, you know, they'd ask me about, like, so what are you guys making? What is Vernon making? And I'd tell them, they'd go, on, a, on that station? How can you make that money on that station? So it was ne- we were never supposed to be making what we were making. Um, so Vernon's contract was coming up. And he had talked to these people about it, and he was like, listen, his wife was pregnant. And I can tell the story, because Vernon's told, I think, in parts. Not all his parts are... I think are, between the two of you, you've both pretty yeah, much covered Not all his story. parts are accurate, <laughs> but, yeah. but I'll tell you, I'll give you the real version. So his <laughs> wife was pregnant, and he basically went to these people yeah. who run the company, and he said, listen, my contract's up December 31, my wife's pregnant. Um, he had a job offer from, let's just say, another market. He said, listen, they're offering money, it's, it's good money, it's secure, but I don't want to move. My wife's from here, we love it here. But, you know, I don't know how things are going. And if you guys aren't going to be able to give me, you know, a, a contract that's better or at least the same as the one I've already got, then I need to really. No, Vernon, we love you. You're our guy. We love you. You're our guy. Right. So he was like, all right, cool. So he turns down that job offer like in late July, August, something like that. Well, then it comes time to get the con- new contract done. They present him with a contract like early December of that year. And it is like maybe a 30, 40 percent pay cut, which you can't have that. No. Well, keep in mind, just two months earlier, they told him, don't worry about a thing. Yeah. So he is furious. And they, so they put this job offer on the table and they say, um, they say, uh, and he, he, you know, he is, he's hotheaded. Sure. He told them to go <laughs> F themselves and basically threw it back at their face. And th- the next day they call me, one of the guys who worked over there, he, he said, Hey, after your show, we're still doing a midday show over there. Jeff and I are. He said, um, Hey, I want to meet with you after the show. Let's go to blue city. Cause the studio's down there downtown. He's let's go to yeah. blue city, get some lunch. It's cool. So sit down and he says, Hey, I want you to do. Uh, a new show for us and I want it to be your show I don't even know that I want Calkins to be a part of it but here's what I can pay you and it's going to be three to six every afternoon I looked at it and I was like 
Vernon does three to six every afternoon. So what's going on? He said, well, yeah, listen, don't go tell him I'm talking to you. But, um, you know, we presented him with a contract. He doesn't want the contract. And so we're moving on. How is that going to work? The, the don't tell him I'm talking to you. It doesn't work. It. He's my best friend. Yeah, I so mean, like, I, I walked in a blue city and I called Vernon. I'm like, what is going on? He's like, yeah. those mother, you know, and they, they told me everything was fine. They're not fine. So Vernon and I are talking about it. And he's back in contact now with this other market that had offered him a job previously. And they filled that job, but they they think they can make something work. Fast forward a week or two, they're going to make something work. Yeah. And so um, he says, listen. So we come with this plan. He's like, listen, um, I'm going to keep dragging on this 730 thing up until the end of December. I'm going to go to this other market. I, I think I know which market, but I, should we yeah. not say it? I don't know. Birmingham is the yeah, market. Yeah, okay. So he's yeah. going to go to Birmingham. I'm going to go to Birmingham. It's good money, good spot, strong station. I'm going to go to Birmingham. Yeah. He said, you and Jeff go to 92.9. Then at the end of December, we'll just hit 7.30 with, um, you know what? F you. Vernon's going to Birmingham. Parrish and Calkins are going to 92.9. They've got nobody to host. No, they still got, they got Walken, dude. They had, I think they had Walken maybe at the time. I don't even know what the time was. I think this was actually, no, this is before they had Walken even. Oh, Walken replaced you guys. He replaced us when we left. As he always does. So, yes. And so, um, so the plan was then Vernon was going to come be on my, Vernon was going to help me get all his advertisers in Memphis to come with me to this show. Okay. He was going to be a presence on my show in Memphis. I was going to be a presence on his show in Birmingham. And this is the way it was going to work. 730 was just going to crumble. Yeah. Sounds perfect. So I come over here the story I told earlier, Jeff and I get that three to six uh, or four to six gig over here. It's going to be the Gary Perry show with Jeff Caucus, blah, 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 blah. The thing in Birmingham fell apart. On Vernon. Right. So he basically had to negotiate a new deal where he could stay at 730. So then, but then like my deal's already done. So at the last minute, his thing fell apart. So then you get to January 1 and Vernon's on three to six over there and going to continue doing his show. And Jeff and I are here four to six doing this show. So people are like, oh, y'all left to compete against Vernon. The reality is we were never supposed to compete against each other. He was supposed to be in Alabama. I was going to be on his show. He was going to be on my show. Uh, Well, but uh, but accidentally, I mean. We did end up competing against him. Here's what I would say. And I think he would agree with this, especially now that he's over here. (laughs) There's not much competing. You know, you can't yeah. you can't be on AM seven thirty and compete against ninety two nine FM. You just can't. Well, because you can actually hear, hear it. Right. You can hear the but even station. the ratings. Like you know, were like like it, like they it was not a competition. Now that doesn't mean that people didn't listen to him. I'm just saying. Here's what I would say. If you take the a me, let's just say that I do a mediocre show and he does the best show ever. For the sake of the argument, not yeah. in reality. We're never going to say that. <laughs> but for the sake of the conversation. I'm just going to cut that one little bit. <laughs> right. um, and you take so and, and you take the a mediocre movie mm-hmm. and you put it on NBC. Yeah. And then you take the best movie ever and you put it on channel 431. It didn't matter that that best movie ever is the best movie ever. Whatever's on NBC is going to get watched by millions of more people than that. That is essentially what happens when you're trying to compare... Yeah. 92.9 FM to 7.30 AM. So, um, you know, I, I honestly, and I don't mean this as a slide, I, like I, I'm, I helped him get here or at least can help convince him to come here. Yeah. I think he's great. And I, I never viewed him as real competition because in any sort of tangible way, he wasn't. You know, it was like, sort of like the he had he had a he brought a, a knife to a gunfight. Yes, and like it's not yeah. even my gun. It's ninety two. Yeah. There, it's ninety two nine's gun. It's an organizational it's, thing. Yes, yeah. like you can't. He so I never even like, 
I never felt threatened in any way or because like there was no like he like and, and, and let me say this just to be clear reverse the roles and it's the exact same thing he would dominate me and I, he'd be on 99 I'd be on 730 he would dominate me and listeners and ratings and awards and all that stuff and just because more people would be exposed to him and and so I think we both sort of settled into um, I'm gonna do what I'm doing and it's on this level you're gonna do what you're doing and and more people as many people don't know about it or are hearing it but you're making your money so like do your thing and we just sort of settled into that groove uh, but it was nice to finally be able to get him over here so that um you know that's all we heard for you not all we heard i don't want to well, i'm sure it. i mean i'm sure but you've a been lot asked of people, about this a hundred yeah, times but a lot of people yeah. would say say that are you like people would see us out we'd be out like having beers oh man i can't believe you are together like we were we never had a strained relationship but we kind was, of booked you guys to host that rock for love show yeah, together right. that one year because i mean it was like you know it was kind of a weird we thought you know like hey maybe people will be like oh, no you're right no, was, no chris and gary are together what's no, this we were always together yeah you yeah. know our wives were always together it was never right. like that but it was nice to sort of because one of the things we'd hear all the time is, um, man, I wish you guys could be on the radio together. Or I wish I didn't have to choose between one or the other. Flip back and forth. Yeah. Uh, well, now we've created a scenario with the help of Intercom that where you don't have to flip back and forth. And we are part of each other's show. Like, I'm on his show once a week. He's on my show once a week. And uh, it's fun to be doing that. Uh, and, and we're having a good time with it. It seemed like the writing was on the wall when Hasseltine left. Um, like I, 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 like I sort of smelled like I mean I had yeah. I had not talked to Vernon in a year or so whatever but when Hasseltine left it was like man the seven thirty's got to be out it was it wasn't the seven thirty thing was never sustainable and yeah. the, and I tried to talk to him about that and and this is where I think you know, like he was a little naive about it for a while <laughs> you know he was like you know. Um, I don't think this is a secret. He sold his own show. Like he went out, the advertisers you heard on his old show, those were, he created those and he kept that money. Yeah. I mean, I think he, and he, he made good money. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, when we would talk about it, he would sell it as like he was, he owned his own show. He yes, was independent now. Yes. You know, he didn't he have was. to answer to anybody. That was all true. Yeah. But the thing I tried to stress to him is that not that I'm sort of some sort of business consultant or know anything about anything, but yeah. it just seemed like common sense is that that's not going to last forever. Cause at some point people who own that radio station, it's not that big company anymore. It, they sold it to like some local guys. Yeah. And though they were letting Vernon sell his own show and do his own show and make his own money. What I are told, they getting out of it is what I wonder. Nothing. And that's why it, I mean, are it, they just hoping that people are going to buy advertising on the Jim Rome show or whatever? The, right, they, uh, I mean, that's on your show. Well, on your uh, station, ultimately right? the question you just asked me is the question that they were going to at some point ask themselves, yeah. why are we doing this? Why are we yeah. paying for the studio, owning the station, letting this guy make money? And like, we're not really profiting from it in a real way. Yeah. Why are we, that's a bad business model. Like the, I, uh, like the idea that Vernon in those three hours over there could be making more money than maybe the station was making in the other 21 hours per day. That's not a business model that's sustainable. No, and at some clearly. point they were going to come to that conclusion. Yeah. And I think at some point he recognized that as well and realized also that, you know, it, it's time to do something different. Like it, it became frustrating for him. There were times where he was like off for a few days because the transmitter was down or whatever. And that, that kind of stuff becomes frustrating when you care as much about what you do as he does about what he does. He is passionate and he, he works hard. Like he works really hard at what he does. Um, and then you can't do the show because like it's something completely out of your control, very small time is down yeah. um it becomes increasingly frustrating and and i think uh, all of those things contributed to to us finally being able to to get him over here and, and he and i being able to work together again 
Well, man, I think we about I think we about run the course here as far as what we can do. But I do want to ask you one more thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what else do you feel like you have left to achieve or to accomplish? I mean, where do you? I mean, here you are. You're I mean, a successful radio host. You're a national sports columnist. I mean, where else do you want to take this? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I. I, I because my my instincts are to always chase. You know, yeah. like always want more. Like I. Remember earlier I told you that when I was in high school, if you'd have asked me my dream, it would have been to cover Tiger basketball at the commercial pit. Well, I got that yeah, when you're... I was like 24 years old. I had that. Yeah. So I achieved what, what even if it was a small-time dream or whatever kind of dream, that was my dream, and I achieved it at a pretty young age. And um, so, But I was not, like, it's almost as soon as I got it, I was like, well, I want more. This sucks. Good, give me more. And... I've always been sort of wired that way. Like, and then, and then when you're the Tiger basketball writer, my, like my job was like, I can remember thinking if I could ever get a job at one of those national websites and covering college basketball, that's all I'd ever want to do. (laughs) And then I get that and it's like, I want more, give me more, you know? And I don't think that that's a healthy way to live, you know, because you never enjoy what you got. And I have been lucky enough to carve out a pretty nice life for myself. I don't always appreciate it. I'm not the best at that, uh, yeah. but I'm trying as I get older, I'm 35 now. And, um, uh, you know, I still have my moments and they're too often to, uh, too often, more often than I'd like. Um, but I do think, you know, I've reached a point where, you know, I know sports writers who would kill to be able to move back home, be around their fam- you know, f- friends and family and parents and all that stuff. Well, I got that. And I know, uh, some people are like, yeah, okay. I get to live in my hometown, but I don't have a national outlet. Well, I got that, you know, and do you feel like uh, just a yeah. quick aside, do you feel like being in Memphis is a hindrance to you in any way to I, like covering national? No, well, I, I think it has prevented me from doing a couple of things. There was a, a an op, I, I do believe like the CBS sports network, which is part of my contract and, and I am on it. I'm on television there. Yeah. Uh, some often, um, if I lived in New York, which is where their uh, studio is. You'd be on more. I think I'd have a show, you know, on it. I think you'd inside college basketball with Gary Parish. I mean, I do. I think that that because I'd be right there. And you don't. You don't have any sort of desire for that. I do have a desire for that. Um, for all those things, because that's where. I do. Cause like I said, I, I'm wired to want more. So what's the next thing? Well, what do you, How do you? And how do you keep that in check? Also, you have to look around and go. What are you chasing? Like, what do you need? Do you need more money? Yeah. You know, do you need more, you know, enough people know my face Enough people hear my <laughs> voice. Like, what are you after? you know, do I really want to uproot my family, uh, change my cost of living in a remarkable way yeah, to go, yeah. what, be on television once a week as opposed to once a month, you know, like, you know, I had another opportunity maybe to move to LA and it's like, you know, or, or I had an opportunity to move to you know, Dallas and Chicago, so radio stuff. And, and, uh, like what, like, first off, my insecurities start to creep back in. Can I do this? Am I good enough? Like the Gary Parish show works in Memphis, but would it work in Dallas? You know, on the day that uh, the Cowboys, you know, the day after the Cowboys lose a game, what if I end up talking about Kate Middleton? I'm not going to get run off the air. Like, dude, the Cowboys just lost. Talk about the Cowboys. Football, football, football. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I'm fit for that. Like, again, earlier I told you, I think I know what I'm good at and what I'm not. I don't know that I'd be good at that in that setting, in that market. So I think your insecurities start to creep in. And then you also just start to go, what do you want out of life? You know, like start on some level appreciating what you got as opposed to always thinking about what you don't or what you might 
could have one day if you went. And so, again, I'm not the best at that, but I, I try, I've been conscious of it and tried to. And so it doesn't mean I'm th- finished, you know, uh, uh, aspiring right you know, right I, I, I want it all but i i'm well past the point of foolishly chasing career goals or career changes because if all i do for the next 10 years or 20 years or 30 years is exactly what i'm doing right now it is more it is than 99 percent of the people who decide they want to get into this line of work ever get to do and that, and i think that's a hard realization for people to accept you know I, as I, ambitious people especially yeah and i have to i have to remind myself of that and so listen i was just bitching at my agent like uh, a week ago about some stuff like why can't we get this done or whatever you know <laughs> so like i'm talking about something in a way that makes me sound balanced when in reality i'm not it's a struggle but i do but you do balance your in balance. Yes, I'm aware of it. Right. And and for maybe the first time in my life that I'm a, I'm aware that I don't need all of that. That maybe you should just enjoy what you got and then see what else happens. And and my career path has suggests that if you if you work hard and you, the, I've tend over the years to catch, I've, caught, I've caught breaks, you know, and, and yeah. some have been accidental, some of them have been intentional, but good things have happened. And so, um, well, and they've all happened because you've put yourself in that position on one way level, or the other, one way or the other. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm going to continue to aspire and I don't know where I'll be in three years because three years ago, I didn't think I'd be here. Um, but, um, but, but I'm also trying to convince myself that, you know, if it never gets bigger than, than where it's at now. Um, that's okay. You know, that's, that's all right. I've done, I, I, to the extent that you can make it in the line of work that I've chose, I've, I've made it, it's worked. And, uh, and I think I'd, I'd be really stupid not to, not to recognize that, you know, as my father, you know, gets up every morning at 5 a.m. to go run a meatpacking company. Or as my mom get, gets up every morning to go deal blackjack and tunica, you know, like. I'm sure I, you hear all the time out at the bar, man, I wish I could talk about. That's Col- all you ever hear from people. Yeah. And, and now there's another side to that because, you know, I, I, I had a guy recently say that to me. Like, man, like, I'd kill to be able to go to all these games and, you know, whatever. And I said, what do you do for a living? He was like, I, you know, I work at the bank. I was like, so what, like, what do you do? You get up in the morning, you go to work. He's like, yeah. I said, what time do you get off? He's five o'clock. So what do you do at 5.15? Why drive home? What do you do at 5.45? Like, whatever I want. Right. Yeah. Like, I like that. Then that sounds appealing to me because I'm never off work. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, like I... He doesn't have to miss his family for days on end for road trips or whatever. Yeah. 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 Or like, you know, he doesn't have to be... you know, at an eye exam yesterday on the day where it breaks that Roy Williams has had a tumor removed from his kidney. Well, I got to now I got to brush out of the eye exam. Like I got to cut my eye exam <laughs> off. You know, to what go. do you tell? Excuse me, Dr. That's Roy Williams has got cancer. Like, I've, been, go. I've been uh, at Disney World with my family and <laughs> had to leave to go write breaking news. You know, like, um, the, you know, and, and that's got to be. I mean, is that it's it's impossible. It, yeah. it, it's the part where you start to go, what am I doing? Like, why? Why? Why is my kid? We're in Orlando. We flew here. Why is my kid playing on the McDonald's playground while I'm sitting in a booth writing about Billy Donovan, maybe taking the Orlando Magic job? Like, what is what, right. like? Why is this like? Why am I putting myself through this? But that is part of it. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that for all the good things, there are some negatives to having this line of work. But, you know, but would I trade jobs with most people I know? Not at all. And, uh, and I, I try to remind myself of that. Well, man, it sounds like you're in a pretty good place with all this. And, uh, uh, 
it's day to day. Now come back and let's talk tomorrow, and I'll be like, you know what sucks? <laughs> but, uh, but you got but, an hour and a half tomorrow. Yeah, you know what? Probably. Uh, but uh, no, it's uh, things are good, and and I, t- I if I don't always sound like I know that uh, deep down somewhere, I, I I know that, and so I try to try to remember it. Well, cool, man. Thank you very much no, for doing this. Oh, you're nice to talk to me and let me blab this yeah, long. So I appreciate it. And God bless anybody who has made it to the end of this thing. If you listen to me for this long, <laughs> you, 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 you got to. I might edit it a little. Yes. We'll you, see. <laughs> we'll see. Either way. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you talking to me. Thank you. All right.